you are actually correlating this to Operation Argus, which we yeah. spoke of in an earlier episode, where they launched nuclear missiles into the upper atmosphere in order to see what sort of radiational changes it causes, or if they can create a radiation belt that would stop missiles coming from Russia. A child prodigy created a machine when he was really young that could that could project sound into a person's head using frequencies. And he said that harp made him afraid because he knew what it could potentially do. We got a human subject within a triangular shaped craft um, show up in the data as well. So this would be outside of the Earth's atmosphere somewhere. What would the ramifications be of this when you're talking about having different types of arrays around the planet so that they could all connect together. They destroyed the old pole. Yeah, he mentioned they blew it up. Yeah, they said they blew it up and some vehicles disappeared into a hole. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Metaphysical Podcast. Whistleblowers have started having a stronger and stronger voice in the public now that UFOs and advanced technology are becoming more accepted. And with all this firsthand testimony and whistleblower accounts, there's just a lot to unpack. Last time we started talking about Eric Hecker, who worked on a base in Antarctica, and we talked about the Ice Cube South Pole Neutrino Observatory. Along the way, John brought us some amazing remote viewing data on what's really happening in this frigid wasteland off limits to almost everyone. But in that episode, we ran out of time to talk about what the old pole station really is. What happens when the green laser Eric Hecker saw beams out into the cosmos and so much more, like the strange technology and amazing things happening there. So join remote viewer John Vivanco and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a show that's sure to be out of this world. Yeah. And if you're listening to us or watching us on a video platform, Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps. And make sure you like and subscribe, hit the bell or whatever you kids are doing these days with your little phones. <laughs> and just listen. It's all fun. All right, let's go. All right. John, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Um, what a crazy episode last week we had. And for those of you who think we're crazy right now listening to this, you probably want to go back and watch that last episode so you know what we're talking about because um, we covered a lot. Eric Hecker here, you know, he's he's bringing up just a lot of a lot of things and we're going to get into a little bit more right now about this ice cube neutrino detector. Um, and some of the strange characteristics of this thing. And um, so he, he mentioned that the South Pole facility is an air traffic control facility for activities on this planet and off, even at an exceptionally great distance, which would allude to there being a reason for that communication, which we kind of covered in the, in the last episode, right? Like you think, John, that this, there is com communications basically off planet that, that they're using this thing for. I mean, that's that's what the data was portraying was was in part communication off planet because this thing could do so many different things, not just detect and it doesn't analyze neutrinos. It detects them and where they came from, produces a whole bunch of data on where they came from and what's what is in them. And so that data data gets analyzed. And I don't know like how they parse the data between like just celestial type things, natural celestial type things 
versus communication type things. Um, obviously, it's easier to to send out energy in bursts in order to uh, send out communications that nobody really know about. But you know, like this data gets has to get parsed by someone, and I don't know how they separate that from the natural stuff. There's so many different buckets that the that the neutrino detector sort of stuff falls into. You know, it's it's definitely accomplishing more than one task. And you know this this is really interesting. So an area of the ice cube layout uh, compared to sub ice layout, the many tasks assigned to ice cube neutrino detector can affect the magnetosphere of the planet when being utilized. So this ice cube neutrino detector actually affects the magnetosphere, and because of this right. impact upon the magnetosphere, it's monitored from the South Pole station so they can see what's going on. So the, this is, I mean, this is where the HARP stuff starts com coming in. Here. Yeah, HARP like and the, scalar type technologies. Yeah. 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 And you know, the HARP array is all on the surface there, right? And they use Alaska because it, it is closer to, um, I guess, the ionosphere at that part of the United States. But what we're talking about in Antarctica is, most likely and even closer to that area of the ionosphere in a very secretive place that has essentially even more power than HARP, according to Eric Hecker. Right. Power. I mean, that was one of his big questions, actually. Like, where are they getting the power for this stuff? That that was like a like large part of this where he discussed that, you know, this ELF machine, I guess you could say, was allegedly shut off. He was told over and over again that this thing was no longer working. The power to it was no longer working. And here we have it where he actually goes to a place and finds that the power actually is on. So when he, you know, one of these alarms goes off, he has to go check some things out. And he sees that the power to the ELF um, equipment is actually turned on and then corroborates this and finds out that there is another scientist there that's sending the data back out somewhere from this ELF machine, whatever you want to call it. So it was obviously working and they're using it for something. And right. the ELFs, the extremely low frequency waves, are specifically the things that can cause the disturbances in the earth because they can penetrate into the earth, resonate with other parts of the earth and potentially create an earthquake. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They can. And uh, yeah, I guess it's like someone left the light switch on there, but not, and they're still using it, which, which, okay. So when you combine that with the power of the ice cube, with the power of the laser, et cetera, et cetera, you know, he, yeah, and others are saying, well, I don't understand. Like, how are they powering all this stuff? We're supposed to be on the inside here because we're taking care of a lot of aspects and, and we need to know, but something that they don't know. So they, they discussed that there used to be an old nuclear facility around there. Right. So that was like what in the 1950s or something was brought in something like that. Like he, he was postulating that. Right, right. Before the treaty, he postulated that it was potentially this nuclear facility was still in operation and that this is what was operating and giving power to, uh, a, I mean, a lot of the machinery on the ice cube detector. And what do you think about that, John? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think he said something along the lines of it 
there could have been some type of reactor, nuclear reactor put in place, and then it was grandfathered in it after the treaty so that right. they can keep like building to it and adding it because they already had an in on it, whereas they wouldn't be able to bring that in after the treaty. But I would say that those guys would just say, who cares about a treaty? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but it is interesting that he's kind of, He's kind of dotting his I's and crossing his T's with how he's explaining this stuff. Because between right. you and I, I would assume who care like no one's gonna care about a treaty if they need to bring more power down there to conduct their their scientific experiments. They're just gonna yeah. do it. Yeah, right? no, no one's gonna care. So the question is really before we get into a little bit more about HARP, what HARP is and what it can do, and then we compare that to the ice cube um, detector, what kind of exotic energy do you think that they're using to power this stuff? Well, that was actually one of the things that we looked at with remote viewing um, to understand it a little bit better, albeit it's a little difficult um, because it seems it's vague. To be it's, a, it's, it's a vague question you're asking, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's a vague question. And at the same time, you know, when you do get data, it turns out to be stuff you don't quite understand uh, because we have our our layer of understanding um, on energy sources based off of what we've been told, right? And so how do you apply something exotic uh, when you don't understand exotic, right? But I would say that this is borderline exotic. And so the data that we got, what we have is like almost like a sun, a miniature sun being produced. And it's contained within this structure. It's like it's like layered up with like these crisscross layers. And it's contained within a structure. It's not a very big thing. It's not, I mean, I, I mean it's big, but it's not like super duper big like we would think of a nuclear power plant. And and this thing creates enough energy to be able to fuel every single thing down there and then some. And what I think it is in part is some type of fusion reactor, but pushing it more on an exotic side. This is not like um, a nuclear, straight up nuclear reactor. This is some type of fusion, fusion reactor, but beyond even what we understand, like in the public realm, uh, a fusion reactor does. So it looks like there's something like that there some type of more advanced version of that, almost like Tony Stark's arc reactor or something where yeah, he's got I mean, this yeah, like, right. remember in the first movie, there's it, this yeah. like massive arc reactor, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And then he right. had to, he had to figure out how to make that smaller. And, right. you know, <laughs> it's funny that we have to use these pop culture I references know. to understand what the hell they're doing out there. It's so ridiculous. But, you know, like creatives, if they don't have inside information in Hollywood, which they often do, creatives, when they write things, I mean, they're tapping into to truths quite often. And so it's just going to be out there. You know, it's like one of the last episodes talking about um, that strange octagonal thing. That oh, was, yeah. Yeah. It was on Ancient Aliens and Linda Moulton Howe presented it. Like the the story that we got out of that with remote viewing was was like this i think you said the sith lords from star wars right where where the beings that were that put that there 
were trying to make themselves more powerful by collecting genetic material and changing their genetics and using dark sorcery at the same time. Creatives will either tap into something or if it's Hollywood, they'll just get fed, like put this in there, put that in there. Hey, we're telling you, but you're not paying attention. Right. Right. Which is actually, we might want to even do a couple of shows just on that. We can, I can actually present several movies that we can remote view and see where they actually the original stories came from because i'm quite sure with some of the research that we've done that there's a bunch that these directors have been given information from three-letter agencies to produce these things and we know i mean there's so much documentation that that uh, intelligence three-letter agency is specifically one completely embedded within hollywood and I do think, too, that human beings, it's like they, they're not even aware of where their thoughts come from. And so sometimes the inspiration that they get could be real things that they think that they've created because they've had this like epiphany about something. And, and it's just we know so little about how thoughts work. You know, why not? Why, well, why yeah, look at like microwave pulsed audiograms, which are a thing. Yeah. And this actually goes so funny because this goes straight back to harp where you know we start talking about dr flanagan who we've mentioned on this show before uh, a child prodigy created a machine when he was really young that could that could project sound into a person's head using frequencies and he said that harp made him afraid because he knew what it could potentially do and so we're talking about using high frequency waves and low frequency waves and they can be used for for many different things i mean also the montauk project is one of these things that we've mentioned on occasion here where they were using a radar system to project um all kinds of things into the local area and do experiments with frequencies you know at very specific megahertz right they'll just try and do things they have no idea what the outcome is going to be but they just do it anyway man it's just trying to create some resonant frequency in a community to cause people to do weird things is just not right well and i think that this is this is where the chip on eric hecker's shoulder comes from is you know he yeah. and his team I'm are with sent down Yeah, they're sent down to Antarctica. They think they're doing, I guess, normal work down there. And they're in a whole lot of danger with exotic machinery. They don't know what effect these things are going to have on their own bodies. And they're constantly being put into a situation, a very dangerous situation on a daily basis with all of these things. I mean, who knows what could happen to these, like a person's body if you're near a energy system similar to the one that you described a sun in a contained environment that's smaller, right? Like, right. I mean, he was saying too, that, um, because they had nuclear technology down there, he was talking about how they were getting radiation interference in some of the equipment. And so they started measuring the radiation saying, there's something going on here. There's something going on here. Um, there's radiation. And so the the higher authorities said, okay, well, we'll block off the radiation. And so they claimed that they blocked off the radiation, but instead what they did is they just removed that, that from the data sets while they right. continued to pummel these people with radiation. That's <laughs> so unethical. Like yeah. you can't like they, it was, I think it was made so clear to him that they didn't care about them or their lives that he just, was like, well, I'm going to expose this then. Right. You know, because yeah. I'm not getting from him, you know, when I hear certain whistleblowers talk, you know, like 
like Snowden. There's something else in there, I feel, like when he's describing things. I'm not getting that from this guy. He just seems like a normal dude from the Northeast telling everyone what he experienced down there, you know? Right, exactly. Like with Snowden, I have a BS detector that goes off. Same here. Yeah. Same here. It's it's a it's a weird thing. Like I I, I find that less with uh some of these other whistleblowers, you know, that um that come out but but snowden just seemed like there was complicated factors we'll say behind a lot of this stuff there are complicated factors behind it all when i was doing my initial research on harp i just kind of want to explain a little bit of this to you because we we found that the ice cube neutrino detector could be used for long range um transmitting and and all kinds of uh, frequency, uh, high frequency and low frequency. They're calling it a direct energy weapon. Like what, what are the capabilities of stuff like this? Well, the patents for HARP that I tracked down showed that HARP could be used to beam uh, a cer certain frequencies into the ionosphere that would, would literally make it impossible for, I guess you could say, enemy missiles to be shot into the air without being turned off from these frequencies. In 1985, Bernard Eastland applied for patents that could make some of these ideas real. ARCO originally approached me in 1984 to find a use for the natural gas on the north slope of Alaska, which they could not sell. To give you a feel for how much gas they asked me to find an application for, it was enough gas to produce all the electricity in the United States for a full year. I originated some ideas for military applications and beneficial civilian applications in which that gas would be converted into electricity and they'd used to power some gigantic antennas. HARP is, is a large antenna where we beam radio frequency energy up into the upper atmosphere and we create on a small scale what the sun normally does. As in terms of defense for the United States, when you have this harp is in Alaska, right next to Russia, who during the Cold War, they were the biggest enemy. You know, harps being developed in the 80s and the 90s to do these experiments. It goes live in, uh, I think it was like 1999, something like that. You've got a system that can basically beam into the ionosphere and it will shut down any missiles that get shot up there right away. Nothing right. can... You know what you're doing? You know what you're doing right now is is you are actually correlating this to Operation Argus, which we yeah. spoke of in an earlier episode, where <laughs> they launched nuclear missiles into the upper atmosphere in order to see what sort of radiational changes it causes or if they can create a radiation belt that would stop missiles coming from Russia. So my guess is that based off of the data that they got out of Operation Argus, they understood what frequency, what electromagnetic frequency or whatever, and then they created a, a, an antenna array to beam that. I mean, that's probably what HARP originally was intended for. You're blowing my mind right now because like this just, this just proves everything we've been saying that all of these operations are usually a compilation of previous operations right. that they've jammed into another one to do a separate set of experiments. Right. They'll start one up. They'll gain all the data they can from it. They'll shut it down. They'll start it new somewhere else under a different name to, to acquire different data. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And harp, I mean, there's so much you could do with harp, even from, you know, 
just the standpoint of, of what I just said, never mind when you're talking about the extremely low frequency waves, which I've mentioned in previous episodes, could beam into the ground, find caverns, find gold, find water, see what's in the ocean. I mean, if they're using Wi-Fi now where you can actually detect what's going on in a room using the Wi-Fi, imagine what you can do with low frequency waves across the entire earth, even inside the earth. Exactly. Yeah. And where's all that data going? I mean, it's probably going down into Antarctica somewhere, you know, and, and honestly, like what would the ramifications be of this when you're talking about having different types of arrays around the planet so that they could all connect together? You're talking about harp still functioning. You've got this ice cube neutrino detector down there. That's also functioning if they're both beaming at the same time and we don't know what that could do. No, we don't. And, you know, it's like, I, I'm sure that on the, I think these things are ultimately constructed for the purpose of scientific understanding across the board, unless it was constructed by a military industrial complex type situation. I think like all of these, like they're looking for discovery at first, and then they find these other things that could be turned nefarious. This is what they do is you turn them nefarious, right? They use this as a threat. They use this as a weapon. They use it as a threat in order to have more power and control. It's always the same thing. John, did you see Oppenheimer yet? I haven't seen it. I recommend checking it out. Very interesting film. Um, I really like the way Nolan told the story, although the first 20 minutes were a bit jarring, but the entire story, even up until the very end, like excellent writing. One of the things I thought was really funny was there's a general played by Matt Damon in the movie. And there's there's no um there's no uh spoilers here, so don't worry about that. But one of the things that I noticed kept getting brought up in was how anal retentive he was about compartmentalization. <laughs> and I feel like if you th if you really take compartmentalization and you understand it the way these military guys understand it, it changes your your understanding of how they might utilize a project like this down here with the ice cube neutrino detector. Because you have some people at the very top who know exactly what's going on, like the entire picture, just a couple of people. And then everyone below them doesn't need to know. They only need to know the part that they're responsible for. They get that part done and they deliver it up. This keeps from secrets being told, right? You know that, that you know what this is based on the study of ants. What? Oh, because of how they build stuff or yeah, really? Yeah. Ant Hill. This is actually within, within intelligence and, and compartmentalization. That's actually like a reference. Ant Hill is actually a reference because that's how you compartmentalize things. Ants don't know what they're doing, what they're doing, but as, as the greater whole goes, they're doing everything for it, but they don't know what the ultimate outcome is to build the anthill. And all each of them are doing are bringing sand up, handing it over to another guy in a, you know, what do they call those when you're passing a rock to another guy? Assembly line, basically format. It's an assembly line format, right? <laughs> well, no, it's it's exactly like like that. It's an assembly line where you've got one guy. He hands things over to another guy. They just do their part, hand it over to the next, do their part, hand it over to the next. That's compartmentalization right there. A different form of it. Yeah. 
this just goes to show you like and even Eric Hecker describing this down in at the base that there were guys that he was working with that were being told to do certain things and he found out slowly some of these things that were being done but that no one else was supposed to know what these guys were doing. And it had to do with some of the technologies that were supposedly shut off and no one was supposed to know about. Hecker had to trace back systems he was cutting off one time during a safety system routine. And he saw that this ELF panel was basically on, right? So he basically just started becoming, I think at this point, really uh, suspectful about what they were doing. And, and why. I thought it was interesting that he brought this in. Um, he at one point said that there is no hole in the ice near the facility, but that there could be somewhere else. And when he said no hole, he was talking about a gigantic hole to the center of the earth that some people have reported are in the North and the South Pole. It was just interesting that he brought that up. Well, he's got to. That's like the big conspiracy down there. That's the... That's the smoke and mirror conspiracy. What I thought was cool, too, is he was like, look, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just wasn't there, you know? So he kind of just, like, kept going after that. And then, he you know, he brings up the big thing, which is that this one time he saw a massive, gigantic green laser shoot into the cosmos. Also explained the amount of energy that it would take to power that, which was a actual ridiculous amount of power you know he said chilled helium is a superfluid used in chemical lasers specifically green lasers need a ton of power and he said it stayed on for a really long time having the lasers fire at all takes an enormous amount of power and hecker saw them sustained for for just a gigantic length of time um, he thinks it's a long range form of communication and or system of defense. Um, and then he kind of goes on to, to speculate that there must be some type of power plant underneath there, which you and I just talked about. Now, what is this green laser, John? Is it a form of communication? What is this thing? We looked at that thing. You know, what was the purpose, purpose of that laser and beaming that laser and what he saw? And I mean, his, his surmising on it is correct. It's, it's for specifically for communication, nothing else. We didn't get anything else around it there. I don't know. There could be an aspect of defense that's like tertiary or something, but that thing was to send information, literally to send information. And that information <clears throat> seemed to go to one location. In fact, we got a human subject within a triangular shaped craft um, show up in the data as well. So this would be outside of the Earth's atmosphere somewhere. And so there's like a relay kind of system when it comes to the laser where it's it's a network connected. So you've got the laser that's sending information to one location, and then that one location sends it out. It's kind of like how, because um, I, you know, I think lasers could have a limited distance in general. And so it's kind of like the idea of in ancient times when they would build fires on the top of mountains to signal, signal, signal. And so, so it's, it's part of a system where the, it'll come to one location, then signal to another, then signal to another, and signal to another. So that's, the, that's what our data said. He's entirely correct on that as far as what I've seen. So 
Uh, that's really interesting. I, 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 it comes down to me though, wondering why they're using lasers if neutrinos are more are faster or potentially faster form of communication. You know what I mean? Well, or here's here's the thing with that place. This this place is is all about communication. Like under the surface, there, it's all about communication. So when he says air traffic control or space and deep space, that's what it is. And I know that this guy is, is getting fed information. Like Hecker is getting fed information as well, I'm sure, or, or ideas. Because his ideas are entirely correct as far as the remote viewing data is concerned. Like we make no assumptions about this at all. We just like do the tasking. We're blind to it. We don't know what it is. Data comes back. And it aligns with what this guy is saying. So he's either completely, totally on the ball coming to conclusions or somebody's feeding it to him or he's got him and others are putting it all together, putting all the pieces together. But yeah, he's, he's, he's right. This guy is like dead on. So he is absolutely someone to be listened to. In a previous episode, you discussed looking at Eric Hecker's intentions. And I think just for the purpose of not having to go back to watch all of that, when you looked at Eric Hecker as a whistleblower, what did you guys find? He was upset. Yeah, He was upset. He was like, he had a bone to pick, literally. Like he literally has got a bone to pick. He didn't like the way they were treated. He doesn't like the way that uh, they're expendable, that anybody's expendable within this. And since he probably didn't have security clearances, I don't know if he did or if he didn't. Um, I don't know if they do have that or non-disclosures, no clue. He's probably, because he's just a, a, on a fire brigade, you know, uh, okay. So yeah, he did have security he had, clearance. He had what he called the highest level of security clearance oh, in that area because right. of his work and, and the fire, like having to make sure that all these areas were safe. Okay, so he had security clearance, so he's probably not saying everything that he knows, and those could be the pieces that he's either putting together or whatever. Right, and he's probably talking to people, having quiet conversations about things and and, and creating the story behind the scenes because he's probably really upset about the danger they're being put in. Right, right. So so if he's breaking security clearances, then that's going to be an issue for him. So he's got to hope that he's protected in the whistleblower uh, box there, um, because wow, that's that's going to be an interesting one. Hopefully, he can be protected because he's definitely he's definitely putting all the puzzle pieces and the right pieces together when it comes to the remote viewing side. And when we get to why he wanted to, like it's literally him being upset. It's not just about him; it's about all of his friends and the people that work down there that he is so upset about what happened to them and what continues to happen to people down there in the corporate structure that he, he's got to talk about. He's got to say something. Well, and he did describe one of his close comrades down there, whatever you want to call them, had, had to get shipped off of Antarctica for, from getting sick from something like this. Like he's seen them go through a lot and, uh, I think, you know, he's just upset. Right. What's funny is what they call it is they call it Havana syndrome, which is is the the politically correct terminology for being beamed with uh, 
frequency weapons so you go insane or have a stroke <laughs> right Havana syndrome right remember that? Right. that that came out of cuba where the diplomats in cuba were having real extreme brain issues nobody knew what was happening nobody ever found out what was going on at least on the public side so they just call it havana syndrome but everyone knows that it's it's directed energy weapons to the brain why are we putting human beings in the line of this type of fire you know because they're ants ah yeah you're right it doesn't matter another ant's just going to come along take its place so john did you get a chance at all to look into this telescope that he's claiming is there as far as i know the telescope he's referring to is the um the ice cube because right. those things are considered telescopes they're just reading the information in a different differently way. right mm -hmm. so they're reading the particles put off by something in deep space capturing those particles and reading them and that would be considered a telescope so as far as i know that's that's what he's referring to when he says telescope remember there lindsay is telling me there also is a telescope there i'm sure there absolutely is and i'm sure there's different types radio telescopes and and mm. uh, visual telescopes and all sorts of different types of telescopes down there because of the clarity of the atmosphere you know you want a place with low light and there there is where you are going to get it what i would have to do is like look a little bit deeper into what he said about a different type of telescope than the uh ice cube array um and then look into that sure and you know we've got we've got something else here that we've got to cover, which is the old pole facility. What is this thing? The old pole that was the that was um, the previous expedition location where they set up that would have included some type of nuclear reactor. Um, oh. And then and then you know over time ice buildup and whatnot got covered up uh, a lot of the experiments and uh, equipment was deprecated and they basically just abandoned it uh, those structures and what they were doing there to produce new ones with newer technology um, and you know I guess I don't I'm not sure of the year I'm sure he says the year it was abandoned um, uh, but from what I understand um, some of the people, who were involved in the program would try to sneak in to the old pole uh, to find out what's there because it's off limits. They're not allowed to go there because apparently, you know, it's, it's too dangerous. You can have ice cave-ins, they say, and stuff like that. And so they've, they've pretty much, you know, locked it away from everyone. But I, mean, I don't know, they probably get drunk and then try and get into the place on New Year's Eve or something. In fact, that's what, that's what that one book is about that Hecker brought up. I can't remember the name of it, but probably written by him. Um, <laughs> didn't they, fictional story. Didn't, didn't he say, yeah, this fictional story that, um, that who, what was the name of that book that they wrote that he said they claim is fictional. It's called Heller's tale. The right. I, I bought the book, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want to read this too, because it, apparently like he, he, he kind of said like, uh, they talk about some welder there and that's definitely not me. Like, yeah, so exactly. obviously, right. like, right, he, he's he's referring to himself there. So I wonder, I like though, 
this guy yeah. is, this guy i like this guy this guy's cool he's a good guy <laughs> yeah and it's interesting like they say it's called heller's tail his last name is hecker it's not that far off you know not that far off but it's it's purely fictional and nobody should take it as nonfiction. right as he states <laughs> yeah but they apparently they they destroyed the old pole um yeah he mentioned they blew it up yeah they said they blew it up and some vehicles disappeared into a hole and they got to watch it. They got to watch this whole event because place is too dangerous. But when I think he said that when he was talking to Stephen Greer about it, Stephen Greer pointed out that that's not where the old pole was. Oh, really? Right. That's that's right. I kind of remember him saying that. Yeah. And so the, the real old pole was still there and it was just theatrics to make it appear that it was no longer something they should be interested in. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh. So so that so one of the things is that the old pole um, <clears throat> had uh, nuclear power uh, like in the 1950s, 19, late 1950s, had nuclear power. And part of the reason why you can't go down there and stuff. So we looked into you know, what, what's going on with the old pole? Like, how come people can't get in there? What, why is it off limits? And we did get problems with radiation. Um, we did get like, like what seemed to be hot spots throughout the area <clears throat> of radiation. So there's definitely that. But there's another aspect as well that it appeared that you've got some type of thing going on under there that is still being utilized with regard to the whole antenna array system that they have from the ice cube to the laser beam to harp to whatever else they've got going on there. There's some connection point where there's potentially some type of antenna material buried under the ground where we're getting like sort of a microwave radiation as well for communication coming off of it. And so mm -hmm. I think, and as also like a processing unit where, where communications are being processed in this area. And so I think there's likely some type of facility that's still all connected in, um, whether they say there's nothing going on there or not. And, and, and that's the whole thing with this area is that just as Hecker has stated, this place is a communication hub, air traffic control, for space, for what they're doing in space, for all the contacts that, that are out there in deep space, for other aliens that they have connected with. No. And so that's what's going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole area, but there is some type of radiation danger when it does come to the old pole. And it's not necessarily a place that you would probably want to, you know, go to just because it's off limits, because there is, you know, wouldn't want to get radiation poisoning. Well, I wonder, you know, that energy system that you talked about, if that was, they had put that near there too, and the radiation could be from that, or if it's from the old technology. It's all, it's all part of one and the same thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Because, because if they had that before the treaty and it was right in that area, they probably would have like brought in equipment for more exotic power supplies to that area as well, most likely. But it's like, you know, when we remote view this, it's like, this whole area is part of one, one thing, one big thing. You have a, 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 
a, like it's like an airport, right? So you have a person over there who's just sorting luggage. You have a person over there who is checking people in. You, they don't understand the mechanics of every single thing. You have a person that works on machinery over here and not these people don't understand what other people are doing. They have a general idea, but because of the compartmentalization, they can't even see past a wall. Yeah. Right. So it's huge. It's way bigger. And I'm sure there's more than 40,000 people that come and go from there over a year period. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder, I wonder like really, you know, who knows how big these bases really are and how many more of them there are. I mean, there's stuff right. that there's stuff we can find and then there's stuff we have no idea about. Uh, do you remember that, that, um, accidental release of data of people wearing those um, Fitbits in Antarctica a few years back. No, what was that about? <laughs> Lindsay might be able to pull this up for us um, if we talk about it long enough. But basically, all of these people were wearing Fitbits. And all right, well, little, what's a Fitbit to start? A Fitbit is like your Apple Watch, but it just it just kind of um, it just kind of tracks your heartbeat and all of this stuff and gives you data back for exercising, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So here's the article here. Fitness tracking app uh, Stra Strava gives away location of secret army uh, U.S. Oh, army bases. That's now, if you look, too funny. Yeah. If you look down here. So there was this mistaken data that basically showed heat maps of military bases and i believe one of them was actually specifically antarctica wow that's crazy yeah. and so underneath the ice it showed like the tracking is this it Lindsay? this is showing afghanistan we actually in a previous episode saw the data from this showing a base in antarctica but it's probably gotten wiped off of the internet if Lindsay's having a hard time Gosh, we got to dig that one up. <laughs> yeah, it, it probably was in one of our earlier episodes on Rise.TV where we were specifically talking about Antarctica. We had a few um, a few episodes on it and uh, it was just really funny. Like this is how the entire subject of Antarctica came up is like <laughs> if Fitbits are showing a little base and these people walking around in this area, what else is there? You know, right. And what else is ever, I mean, really, it just raises questions about the entire planet because, you know, like, That's where it, absurd. yeah, oh, it's man. pretty, pretty funny stuff. We covered all kinds of things in this episode and uh, just about Eric Hecker, some of this technology related to the stuff that's powering these technologies, uh, what these extremely low frequency waves can do. And uh, we'd really like to know what you guys think. Uh, did we miss anything? Is there anything that you guys would like to hear? We'd love to hear your comments um, or listen or read your comments below. Thanks for being with us today on this episode of Metaphysical. John, thanks for being with us. And uh, we hope this uh, that you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. <laughs>